0: Hello and welcome back to The Progress Podcast. Very recently, we had an incredible interview with a man named Clive Anthony. He has an amazing story of how he built his business and also started to take a journey into governance. There is such incredible learning from his story around why and how that why is so crucial to not only what you do, but how you live a life based around that. You're going to listen to what he has to say. So sit back,
1: relax and enjoy. Clive, I want to kick it off. You mentioned something when we caught up before this and Jack and I were talking about this, wondering where we'd start the conversation. Yeah, you mentioned that a lot of your friends had shifted overseas um, to bigger and brighter cities around the world, um, but you stayed. Yeah. You built a business here. Yeah. Um, you're married. You're building a home. Yeah. Um, and you're a huge advocate for our city. Why did you stay? And why are you so passionate about Christchurch?
2: Yeah, um, why'd I stay? I think, I mean, it probably just comes down to, we were sitting in this really sweet spot. It was sort of 2016, yeah, 2016, 17. And if you were kind of in, not, not in the know, but if you're kind of in and around what was happening around the city, you just got this sense of, actually, if I take a punt and just stay here for that little bit longer and just kind of, Ride the wave of, not the rebuild, but just ride the wave of just people coming in, people coming out, and just see what opportunities rock up. There's probably something in there, and so that's kind of what we did. So, um, yeah, my wife and I, well, back then we were just we were just dating. We had a kind of had a bit of a conversation going. Sweet, so you better get a grad job, and I've got this opportunity to start a business, or we could go do the London thing, or Dubai, or Sydney, or whatever. And I know just when we, when we had that conversation, it started going, actually, let's just stay here. Mm. Let's just see what happens. Um, and it was cool. And we, we've loved it ever since. It's been wicked.
0: Well, I suppose for context too, you know, we're talking two years after the earthquakes, two or three years.
2: Nah, man, we're talking. Yeah.
0: It's a little bit longer. I
2: mean, yeah, so I moved down to Christchurch in 2012. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did my first, so I graduated from school in 2010. I uh, did my first year at open Uni, and that's where I grew up. And honestly, man, it was just the same thing. It was just, Kind of, I mean, I lived not in the middle of the city, so for me to get to an 8 a.m. lecture, I'd have to drive into Albany, which is on the North Shore, and then take a half an hour. So that was a half an hour drive, then a half an hour bus into town, then a 15-minute walk to get to the to to get to campus. So it's an hour and 15 minutes to get to an 8 o'clock lecture. Just a commute. Just, just a commute. Yeah. Not going to happen. <laughs> not <laughs> going to happen. I mean, that was immediately? You're no, like, so oh, I'm, I'm just done. Like, I just saw it. At 8 o'clock, <laughs> law 101. Mm, yeah, nah. Um, and then, and so... I mean, the studies, was, it was fine, but it was just that, you know, why do you go to university? You know, you want yeah. to, obviously you want to learn if there's a vocation you want to get, in, get into, that's great, but I think for me, the impression I had of university was it's an opportunity to actually meet cool people and experience cool new things, and I just wasn't getting that living in the same city that I grew up in and having to commute, um, and it was kind of a process of elimination of choosing which uni to go to. Um, Wellington was still too close to home. And I'm very grateful that I had the self-awareness at 18 that if I went to Otago, I probably wouldn't graduate because I would have had way too much fun partying and doing other bits and pieces. I can um, relate to that. Waikato, never going to happen as an Northlander. Um, d- d- wouldn't just go just down guess, to Hamilton? Yeah, no, would, 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 not, would not. City of the future, apparently. But There you go. Um, Bless go. you, Hamilton.
1: <laughs> I, um, I once heard it was the gateway to somewhere interesting, but I, my brother was born in Hamilton, so I have to be. Yeah, I mean,
2: look, I've got family in Hamilton. I've travelled <laughs> quite, quite, quite a lot, so I don't want to bag it, but... No, it wasn't going to be for me. And then it was honestly UC just, I was like, oh yeah, Christchurch, it's a thing. I totally forgot mm. that they had a university here and um, came down and just, yeah, just fell in love with the day. Just everything about the city and the vibe and energy was pretty cool.
1: I find it really fascinating that you fell in love with a city that was very much in the very, very early stages of yeah. a rebuild. Yeah. Um, I vividly remember Christchurch in, you said 2012, when yeah. you came down. Um, I would have been year 11. Um, but the city was just, it was non-existent. Yeah. A lot of oh, the... Um, but it benefited a lot of the university because yep. a lot of the culture grew around the campus and it became a center people weren't coming over to the city 100%. to party or have nights out it was actually a lot of culture yeah. around the campus which is must have been a really interesting yeah, I mean, time to grow to make
2: our own fun right like in mm. my first term we had no student pub so if you're gonna mm. go meet people and have you know parties or house parties the yeah. the club and society scene on campus really started to take that ownership of what of what culture and meeting people was looking like um, and then in the second term we the foundry opened and then within the rio week the stage was broken by savage the rapper like literally broke the stage so they shut the foundry (laughs) yeah i remember hearing about this we all get in we're a week into the foundry and mean we have a student pub and then it's closed again because (laughs) i broke the stage
0: i literally fell through it um how is that possible as well i remember my brother mentioning this to me i think he was just getting there at the time i can't fathom (laughs) what it takes to break a floor I mean everyone's park.
2: pretty hype man Like I mean we just got <laughs> in so yeah. like you can imagine just Everyone just like Just washing going hard But um, But I think you only, you only know What you know right And so mm. for me I had nothing to benchmark Christchurch against mm. I might have I think I came a few times Growing up Because I, I used to live in Chicago Grew up there for a bit um, But I came to Christchurch And My whole appreciation Of the city Was the people That I was surrounded by Which are university students Which were really keen And hungry to mm. To get amongst And try new things And that was kind of that was That was my impression of the of the people in the city, um and I think over time there's been a lot of us that have stayed um, more people have come in and they've just added to that to that hung in culture of actually wanting to be the best version of themselves and I think that's what the city really provides
0: yeah, I mean you touched on an interesting word there um, culture yeah, and that was almost the instrumental reason why you decided yeah Christchurch is the place to me yeah um, how important do you think it is? that time when you first got here that I guess you were around culture, culture establishing groups or found yourself within that environment where there was almost a fresh culture to be established. Like we said, there was there was no city at the time. Yeah. There was nowhere to hang out. Um, how kind of defining was that for you? And is culture something really important to you?
2: Yeah, huge, man. I think, um, I think it was my old man told me like way back in the day when you're growing up, this, your parents all these things, but he goes, you know, show me your friends and I'll tell you where you are in five years. Um, and for me, that really, really stuck. And so I'm a huge believer mm-hmm. in if you want to, no matter what you define success to be, surround yourself around people that are actually going to um, allow you to, to you know, achieve or, and grow in that path and in that success. And I think in, in an aspect, that's culture, isn't it? Like you want to be around a certain sort of mindset or, you know, way of doing things um, that helps you better yourself. And so I think... I was really lucky to be in a hall residence where everyone was super open and inviting, but everyone worked really hard and played really hard. Um, and I really benefited from that. So yeah, for sure, man, it's, culture is important. And the same with, 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 with my business as well. Like I take culture super seriously um, in the sense that it's gotta be this really natural, organic place that people actually wanna come and make a contribution. Cause I think mm. if we don't have that, then we just become another machine um, and I don't know. I'm not really in the business, well, in the business game to, to build some sort of machine transactional thing. Um, I want to make a lifestyle out of business, and I think culture is a really big, important part of that.
1: I found it—it's um, so cool looking back through a couple of quotes when we were doing the research for this interview. Yep. Um, oh no! Saying, what have I said? Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> no, you said some—you said some, said some <laughs> fantastic, fantastic <laughs> things. Um, we won't dive into all of them, but <laughs> one of the things that I found really interesting was you talking about how your parents moved from India to New Zealand, you were born here, but you got really wrapped up in the community and the culture and clearly your parents have had a really defining effect on how much you value that. Yep. Um, what was that journey like growing up? Because you said, obviously, India to New Zealand, uh, Invercargill, you mentioned. Yeah, we've, we've done
2: everything. So I was, I was born in the mighty Taranaki um, in Harwood, out of all places, a real small town. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, bro. Like, we're going real well so Yeah. I'm, my mum moved to New Zealand, um, must be about 35 years ago, um, mm. and she was a teacher. And she started teaching in the most rural places, so Hawara, um, Lawrence, like in central Otago. Um, and, you know, she was 20, probably 25 or 26 at the time, and English was, you know, her second language. But then to come from, like, the bustling hot India to central Otago... And Lawrence and teach at like a country school with like five kids or something like that. Massive culture shift.
1: Yeah, like just huge why? Like did did you parents oh, opportunities? Man. man,
2: like I mean, you think about and it even still happens in in sort of Central Asia, Southeast Asia, or anywhere really. People mm. are m- migrating because of the opportunities that are available from overseas. That's better for mm. them, right, and better for their families. Um, and that and that's basically the main reason. And so. I think about the trip that she made over and for mm. me, that is incredibly brave um, mm. to do all that. And that's just such a common story with a lot of immigrants that come to New Zealand. Um, they're coming, not just to better themselves, but to set up a future for, for their children. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so for me it was, it was really interesting because yes, yeah, so you went to then Lawrence, and then went to Upper Hutt for a year, and then we settled in Invercargill for like a long, like rather long period of time, about eight, nine years. Um, and then we moved to the Hypersons Coast up in Auckland where we spent like sort of 15 years or so. Mm. But Britain. I think the common connection between all those places is the lack of Indian people in those areas. So mm. I always grew up um, with easily being probably the only Indian at school beside maybe one, two other Sri Lankans, or there's another Fijian Indian, or, and my brother and sister. Um, and I think because of that, we were kind of forced just to embrace everything that is about about pretty sort of standard New Zealand. Um, and so I think my parents made a big acknowledgement of going, okay, they're getting wrapped up in New Zealand culture, but we can't let them forget where they're from and their past. And so mm. they really instilled in us um, the values of understanding our language, understanding our culture, traditions, um, and actually go back to India. Like we tried to go back every two or three years growing up, and only now am I really realised the benefits of that. That when we go home, mm. it's not like a reintroduction to people. It's oh yeah, I saw yeah. you three years ago, but we've chatted heaps on Facebook now, and it's the relationships are growing. Because um, I mean, you
0: were back there in December, right? Yep. yep. just been. Yeah, just been. Um, how was that? Even just going back far?
2: Yeah, it was. It was cool, man. And 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 the reason why it was so cool is because it felt like a, a continuation of building relationships with a lot of my family back home. Mm. It wasn't like a, oh, I saw you five years ago. Like, how are you? you know? <laughs> <laughs> or like, hey, oh, I've got a niece now. What the hell? Like, it wasn't anything like that, you know? And that's yeah. technology as well. allows us to keep in touch, which is important. So, yeah, no, it's cool. Really, yeah, really, really grateful way for mum and dad coming here. Mm. Awesome.
0: Oh, it's interesting, I guess, having that instillment in your parents of, being welcomed and almost completely embracing New Zealand culture Mm. but holding on to your own Um, do you think that had impact I guess on your values around culture setting I don't know I suppose it's an interesting
2: yeah I'll tell you one thing that I feel like I haven't had I've had a lot of internal conversations with Indian family friends um, and stuff like that but never really seen it make a podcast discourse or you know even just a public frame of mind is actually um, the power and impact of what's happening with first-generation immigrants right now in New Zealand. And the main thing that I come back to is the stereotype around Indians, Asians, blah, 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 that they go into engineering, um, medicine, or accounting. You know, mm. The professional. The, the professional yeah. stuff. And mm. the stereotype's there for a reason because they all do it. But I think the main reason was growing up that those, those roles in particular, those professions, was the path of least resistance to success. So if you've got an Indian family with two young kids, three young kids moving to New Zealand, those parents are going to go, okay, we've, we've done part one, which is get here. Part two is set up our family so they can have the best education, so they can be successful in the future. And in their eyes, success is the safest job possible. And that's kind of what's been happening for a little while. And then you take on my generation, particularly millennials, and you see the rise of technology coming through, like the, the kids like us that knew what a floppy disk was and now are working with AI and that whole transition. Our whole generation has gone, actually, I don't need to be a doctor. I don't need to be an engineer. I don't need to mm. be an accountant. I've got all these other things I can do. So growing up, I was dead set on being a neurosurgeon, wanted to be a doctor, and then mm. in high school, wanted to be a neurosurgeon. I was like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And everyone around me is like, great, you go do that. And then I got to year 12. I'm like, oh, shit, I'm actually really bad at science. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like Dude, real, real I, It's funny so, how much
0: I relate to that. I remember my year 13 year, I was getting ready. Well, I'd always had my eyes set on medicine. You had your eyes set on medicine. Mm. You actually went, did you go down and do it? I y- did. You did. I did. I never got to doing it because yeah. I got to that third year. And I was like, I'm probably not doing well enough to do medicine. Yeah, yeah. And I also don't want to do medicine. Yeah. And um, well, here I am now as a fashion designer, right?
2: And absolute purple. It's, it's it's wild, eh? And then the big thing is, growing up, everyone's like, "Oh, did you did your parents like force you to be a doctor? Like, did you want to be a doctor?" And I'm like, "They never forced me." But the reason why I thought I wanted to is because my whole circle of influence around me were doctors, engineers, mm. and accountants. So all mm-hmm. I even knew were people from those professions, and so my sphere of influence and access was very very limited. Um, and so now through, I guess. I guess my parents being really awesome and, and really um, supportive of me going into creative industries and trying to build a business and, and digital and creative um, has opened up a whole nother level of access to like marketing and advertising for our community that they haven't really seen before. Mm. And that was really illustrated in I had like a family friend, she's 15 or 16, she called me at the end of last year and then she was like, Hey, can I come do a day of work experience with you? I'm like, Yeah, totally. What's up? You guys are. We're hitting year twelve, sorry, year ten or eleven, and we just need to check out like what we want to do as in a career. Mm. And I've seen what you're doing online, and I really want to do what you do. And then like my Indian brain kicked in. I'm like, Oh, do your parents really know about that? Like, (laughs) do you really want to come see what I do? And she's like, Yeah, no, I've talked to them, and they say as long as Clive Clive Cheddar, which means like older brother Clive, yeah, as long as Clive Cheddar's doing it, then yeah, that that's all good. And for me, that was such a point of pride that seemed like sweet, like me just trying to. I guess, live my best life and try and make a contribution in the best way I know how, It's just allowed the next generation below me to to do that. And it's so much easier path than I had to. Mm. It's massive. And there's so many people around that I think of family friends in this city who are, you know, who are policemen or they're doing other really, really cool things. They're just opening up mm. exposure for our community to all these different like jobs and stuff. It was pretty cool.
1: Did it feel scarily countercultural when you made the decision to go into digital media and agency work because I know you went to university studying mm. political science yep. BA yeah did you think at that point your first year that you were going to go and do anything like digital
2: um for me it didn't feel countercultural because I feel like that's the battle I've been fighting like ever since high school mm. like I wanted to be an actor like so well you know we're doing the whole yeah. medicine thing and I'm like oh actually I'm really crap at physics science and chemi- uh, biology and chemistry what am I good at I really enjoy acting um, so mm. I wanted to be an actor. And that's when my parents went super and they are like, no, <laughs> yeah. you're a bad actor. Like, you're okay, <laughs> but you're not that great. And they were right. I enjoy it. But there's no way I could have done that professionally. Yeah. Um, but my whole life has always been that kind of counterculture piece, like counterculture. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's, so it wasn't really that, it wasn't really a big deal. So that's kind of how I've, how I've been rolling.
1: But you kept up acting when you were at university, yeah. you were the president of Musoc I was. at UC, I was. what was that experience like? Because it's it's awesome to see that you kept up your passion for that yeah. while you were still pursuing mm. your professional yeah. career on the site.
2: So I think I, I owe Musoc a lot um, and mainly because that's what really opened up my interest in business. So when I first joined Musoc in 2012, um, I was, For those who
1: don't know, what is Musoc? Sorry,
2: yeah, sorry, Musoc is the Musical Theatre Society on campus at the University of Canterbury. Cool. Um, so they do two like kind of major shows every year and a couple of small ones. Um, and then in, in the winter of 2012, I was in the musical called Chicago. People might have seen the movie. Yeah, I know it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they were super fun. I really enjoyed being on stage. Um, but then I got to meet like the cast and the crew and got to meet some of my best friends. And now Peter, my business partner, we met doing musical theatre. He wasn't—he was in the crew. Really? So that's how you met Pete? Yeah, I met Pete. Oh, this is wild. Um, yeah, But man. then getting along with Pete was was wicked because that's when I met a bro who was really interested in building stuff, like building businesses and thinking about the revenue. And we saw the amount of people that came and saw Chicago, and we were like, "Whoa, we just made a whole lot of money for this musical theatre charity. How do we build and sustain that?" Um, and that's what really started exciting me. So it was the theatre side of things, but then actually I can build this organisation um, into something that's really sustainable, um, has big membership and stuff like that. And I transitioned quite quickly away from being a cast member to joining the executive, making my way up to president. Um, and that's actually where I met Meg as well. She We, she met, we met doing musical theatre. Um, Meg, your wife. Yeah, Meg, my wife. Ever. Yes, Ever. yes, Ever. yes. Mm. Mm. yes. Um, and it was that whole... So when we took over. I think NewSock was really in the dirt. It had like two grand in the bank account or something like that. It was pretty grim. Um, but then by the time me and a few others, we left the organization, there's about 60K in the bank. Um, and Amazing. we were really, really happy with, with what we'd done. So NewSock for me was a theater outlet, but it actually really opened up my whole sphere into marketing, selling, and actually building building businesses, building an organization.
0: Well, it seems to be working on your strengths. I mean, tell me about going from being that cast member 2k in the bank for the the entire society to becoming the president leaving it in a way better way than you found it um how did the culture shift when you were i guess in that leadership role and how did that kind of grow you yeah
2: the culture for the culture is really interesting because um musical theater is and the people that do musical theater are super inclusive um you know we invite people from all walks of life Um, people that usually tend to might have been on the fringe of what people think is like sort of cool or traditional or societal, whatever it is, um, we embrace everyone, Mm. um, which is really, really wicked. So for me as a leader in that space, um, I had to learn a lot of new new things, um, really, really opened my mind up to actually how people live their lives, which is really, really cool to learn and understand that. Um, But then also how do you bring that all together? And the biggest challenge for me when I was president of MUSOC was I could really, really chase the numbers. I could put on, I could put on grease every single year and make bank, and that'd be great. But the membership would hate it, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, these are these are people that like they want to yeah. do like really, really cool, oh, gritty shows. That's but a, yes. No one's going to come see them. All so of the creatives in
0: one place. You're like cool. Yeah, run it out. again.
2: Hard out, right? So, um, <laughs> so that was that was an interesting challenge for us as a group. Is you know we you know we really well, Pete actually really coined the phrase you know we're a not for lost organization. So cool, mm. let's, put on, let's put on a really fringe show, but well, let's pull the budget back a little bit because we know not many people are going to come to it. And as long as we don't lose money on it, that's, that's, that's great. Um, so just building in, I think, that kind of mentality of, hey, we can put on a show, that's awesome, but let's actually be sensible about it. Like if we're going to put on something super fringe, let's budget accordingly. So that way we can still sustain the organization and actually all our members can have a great time doing it. Mm. But then maybe two shows later, we need to kind of sell ourselves a bit and do something a bit, a bit out the gate that's going to sell tickets and sort of building that was, that was really interesting as a leader to go through.
1: Yeah. Finding that balance between, I guess the creatives that you're managing their mindset about what gives them joy and what gives them passion. Like you, like you mentioned around your businesses, building a culture that people feel like they want to yep. be invested in, yep. but also having that commercial head on as 100%. well and, and driving it as a business.
2: And music was really interesting in the sense that, you know, we had our executive team, but also we weren't the production team. So we were there literally oh, no. as almost like a board of governors, almost as, as the board effectively.
0: Right. Okay, and that's then, an interesting so
2: thing. we look at the organization as a whole across the whole year, but then every show we do, we actually put out for pitch. So people would come in and they can pitch the show that they want they'd bring in their production team and we'd choose it based on on the merits of what we need as an organization mm. and so that was also my first steps into governance you know actually understanding if you're a governor of an organization or a company you're not working in the business you're working on it at a strategic wider level um but i don't know what those things meant at the time we just did it out of out of necessity, right? Mm. It was only a few years ago when I started trying to build my governance career. I was talking to a really good friend um, who's just a genuine well-wisher and got lots of experience in governance. And I was putting together a CV and I said, I've got no governance experience. And then he asked me, he's like, well, what do you do with music and musical theatre? And I literally said everything I've done said to you now and and made that clear separation. He's like, yeah, that's governance. And the production is operational. So you've got governance experience. You just haven't articulated that you have. And that blew my mind. That... Literally, if you're on a club exec, to a degree, you're probably starting your first steps in governance. Which is
0: pretty cool. Yeah, man, that's a massively interesting, I guess, shift. Yeah. One of the things I was curious about is, again, you're doing a political science degree. Yep. You're also heading up MUSOC. Yep. How did these factors lead you to do what you're doing now?
2: Yeah, cool. Um, hugely, hugely um, influential. I think every, I've got like, I look at what I'm doing now, I've got no regrets because everything I've done, um, even dropping out of law school and focusing just on my political science degree, um, that all had to happen to for me to take the learnings from it to build into what I'm doing now. And so so if you cast back, I'm just dropped out of law school, but I'm doing some musical theatre stuff with Musoc and I'm doing political science and life's good, but it's, it's fine. I didn't really have any direction in what I wanted to do. Um... And because I was a bit bored while just studying, I took on a part-time job at a full-time capacity and started managing Huffer out in Hornby. So there was an outlet store out there. Oh, cool. Um, they've only just come dress back in now. Yeah, and dress. Dressmart, yeah. <laughs> good old Dressmart. Um, good old Dressmart.
0: Plug Dressmart. <laughs> yeah, it
2: was, it was a good time, man. Some cool people out there. Um, and then, so I was, I was at Huffer Hornby managing the store, kind of working 30, 40 hours a week, whatever it was. And um, loved it, it was great. Got to really sort of flex my creativity a little bit. Again, looking at the bottom line of the store going, actually I need to make Target. What do I do? I literally call my boss and ask them if I could do this. And I closed the store for two days, packed up all the stock, and did a pop-up sale on campus. And just sold Were you there for that?
0: Uh, nah I remember you talking to me about this actually yeah, You mentioned yeah, this yeah. to me and Sean It was one wicked day. man Like my boss yeah.
2: was like In Auckland man Why are you doing this? I'm like trust me We're going to partner with a club on campus Called yeah. Ucom Because they just froth all like The basic bro Like for the fashion And stuff like that Sweet And we'll get the space for free Because it's a club event And I'll just You know Pay like all these volunteers Like in half of vouchers Which they'll absolutely froth Yeah and i bet you back and bank. And we, we had to close like in, in by one o'clock because we'd sold out everything. So the whole oh notion of students gosh. don't spend money is absolute crap. Because I've, <laughs> I've seen someone walk past in campus thinking they're going to a lecture and they're deviating to my pop-up store to buy a puffer jacket. Like I've seen that before my eyes. Like people just love to spend money if they want to spend a day. So uh, yes, yeah, so I was just having a lot of fun just trying to just like just sell all this old Huffer stuff that mm. clearly no one wanted. Um, mm. Because that's an outlet store as well. That's as like outlet, past, past yeah. season yeah, stock. There's some old stuff there, man. Yeah. Like some real dusty clothing and going, no one's <laughs> going to buy that. Yeah, Like put it a free and no one's going to take that? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> Unless was, you drag it onto the yeah, UC yeah, campus. Yeah, campus. <laughs> Honestly, man. Take it to UC Canvas. Someone will take it. Um, and then, so that was cool. Um, but then they decided to um, close the store. that They didn't want to renew the lease or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Leases and dress smart
0: are rough. Yeah, they are rough. Yeah,
2: they mm. it's pretty, it's pretty, pretty rough out there. And um, then what we did was I took up a job at Carma Cola, which is really cool. And mm. I'm doing the sales for them. So I drove around my little van, and um, was selling just all the drinks. Um, but the cool was thing, that sort of B two B? It was. it was B two B in store, mm. like rolling in my trolley, dropping some drinks off. But then if I saw a cool cafe, like even some of the guys around here. Yeah. Well street. Um, yeah. we would go to the and sort of start. Um, yeah. Sort of selling drinks. Then what's really cool. The original black and white coffee cartel was like sold into come, come go into them. Wicked. And set that all through. But that was really important because that's where I learned about the social enterprise business model. Mm. And so I could walk into any store and say, Hey, my drinks are way nicer than yours at a cost bottle level. I can beat you. And, we're paying fair wages to our farms in Sierra Leone, um, our orange sort of suppliers in Sri Lanka and all that sort of stuff. So real triple bottom line stuff. Mm. And I just get a 100% hit rate every time on these sales. And I'm going, sweet, if I'm going to start a business, it's got to be cool and it's got to be in a social enterprise because that's where the money is.
0: It's an interesting thing that, you to- that you're sort of going on about. One of the key points, I think, too, is you're out here learning to sell social enterprise. Um, how valuable was that learning? Like you said, you're, you're traveling around Christchurch too. Yeah. Meeting up with all these cool people, basically telling them why your product's the best. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Is that kind of still how you operate?
2: Yeah. So I think the principles, the principle of social enterprise is kind of why I, um, I was really, really drawn to it because I don't think I'm a natural salesperson, but I'm definitely a natural and confident speaker, Mm. but I'm only natural and confident speaking. If I really believe in what I'm talking about and, I think the trouble with sales is you can go out there and be super transactional, but if you don't believe in what you're selling, it's going to be really, really hard, right? Mm. And so for me, social enterprise created like the perfect storm of, if of the product's great, economically it works, and there's actually some social good and value behind it. And so I could really go anywhere and confidently talk about what I'm trying to sell to you, because I know it will add value to you and adds value to the wider community. Mm. And I think that's why I was drawn to social enterprise, now at the time, um, so, yeah, so Karma, so Karma Cole was happening, Huff had finished up, but I really had in my heart, hey, this is this is cool. And bear in mind, I, I never grew up thinking I was going to go into business. I never thought about being a business person, but it just stuck. I just I had such a gut feel that this is something I just got to try. i I got to build a business that is a social enterprise. And the only things I knew at the time was the Karma Cole business model and... Clothing and fashion, mm. so I thought. Well, what if I put those two things together? Um, take the look and feel of what I loved about Huffer, I love Ugly, like the street surf sort of culture, mm-hmm. um, and actually put it into a social enterprise framework. And I thought about it. Talked to Meg about it. She goes, "Yeah, yeah, you should try that one day." Um, that one day happened to be sort of <laughs> you're like, "That's the well, yeah, one day." So I'm <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I honestly, I just started googling it. I just started, and I don't know what to Google. I just typed "ethical T-shirts" and it came up some real dodgy stuff. Surprisingly, um, was this th- before the, This was before the days of proper ESG. It was just coming in. All trial, knew, online yeah. accounting. All I knew hmm. is that fair trade was a thing and a certification. So if I could find a fair trade T-shirt manufacturer, then I'm then I'm probably in the right vicinity, right, of what yeah. I wanted to do and see how I want to make it work. Um, and that's literally, so I just typed in fair trade clothing, ethical apparel, like just started to go all through the stuff. And ideally didn't want to engage with, um, I didn't want to engage with a supplier like via, like, um, not Amazon. Um, oh gosh, I'm having a mind blank. Chinese based AliExpress Alibaba. Ali, Alibaba. Alibaba. Yeah. yeah. Want to, Cause I didn't know that platform too well at that time. Uh, mm. So I didn't want to go well, that way. it wasn't way. established And the quality the way back then market. was considerably no worse than it is yeah. these days, he right? just had no idea if they actually were certified or not. Mm. And I didn't, have the, uh, I didn't have the money to, I had no money, so let alone to fly to China to, <laughs> to check if these guys Audit are legitimate. I factories and chicken supply chain. Nothing like that, eh? Um, but then, like, no word of a lie, I found a company in Addington Christchurch who sell fair trade T-shirts from India And I'm like No way what Is this Addington Coffee Co-op? It is Addington Coffee Co-op Yeah, yeah Wicked And, I'm, and I was like ah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, Someone's doing go. it. Like, <laughs> it It's like 10 o'clock at night I'm like Big, big, big <laughs> See, it's a search. Go to Addington <laughs> next day It was a Monday Closed I was like oh, Gosh, I had to wait till Tuesday And that <laughs> was Have like a closed longest... Mondays? I know the, f- no, the, the cafe was open But the shop behind the back Was closed oh, mm-hmm. And shocking. that's where um, Liminal Apparel Which is the name yeah. of the company That's where they were and I was like, Grr! so like longest day ever, man, that Monday, just like waiting, waiting, waiting. And I buzzed in straight away on Tuesday. I kind of told them what I wanted to do. Um, and Jeff and Jared, they were they were wicked. They were like, sweet. Like, yeah, you can buy t-shirts of us. You can buy them in New Zealand dollars. So like, just made life a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't have to go through like, you know, those export crimes or anything like that. I and for reference,
1: yeah. Jeff is the loveliest guy in the world, Mad. gentle giant, yeah. absolutely amazing bloke. Yeah,
2: absolutely. They were really, really cool, super supportive of the idea. Um, so I was like, sweet, I've got to supply it. And it was actually really easy to figure that out. Now i got to find a designer. And we were really good friends with um, our friend Jess. She did some musical theatre stuff with us. And she did some graphic design from from USOC like, when we went through it. And I was like, yo, do you want to co-found a T-shirt? Like, company with me? And he goes, yeah, yeah, go on. Um, <laughs> and so Jess is on board, and then Meg is obviously the really switched on number cruncher, loves Excel, super organized person. So the three of us founded um, this clothing company together.
1: Can I ask from that conversation with Jess yeah. through to you? Having that conversation to kick it off with the three of you, what yeah. was that time period? Oh, we're talking like
2: twenty minutes. Like <laughs> wow, well, maybe not twenty minutes, but like <laughs> in, in my mind, I was already there. So if they said yeah. no, I would have found someone else. I was, I, as soon as I knew that there was t-shirts available in Christchurch, I was in. Yep. you could not have stopped me from giving this a go. And so it was about okay, am I do this on my own, or I'm going to find people that are going to help me do this? Um, and so I was pretty. I, I, I say twenty minutes, but it was, it was pretty quick. I think mm, we all had a yeah. we all liked the idea of, of of a hustle and and doing something. So it was like us. We were like, hey man, do you want to start a podcast? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cool. See you yeah. tomorrow. Again. It's it's that whole <laughs> and we come you know, we've we've talked about it just before. It's that whole circle of influence piece. Like who are you around? Mm. This action and be like, yeah, no, nah, let's do this, let's go. Mm. Um and that's and that's who they were, which is really, really cool. Um so we're just designing, I was kind of kind of front manning it and sort of setting a vision direction for the company. Meg's being super organized and making sure we like actually don't go bankrupt. Like we had all the pieces. We were there good to go. Um, So we started this label called Malu. um, And Malu stands, well, Malu is a word from South India, Kerala, which is where I'm from. It's Mm -hmm. the short word for the language we speak, which is Malayalam. It's in the same way as New Zealanders are known as Kiwis. People from Kerala who speak Malayalam are known as Malus. So I thought, well, if this brand is going to be Ba- the t-shirts coming from India, from a factory in Kolkata, and what they do is they only employ women to take them out of the sex trade of Kolkata. Um, so mm. you can take these women out of poverty, um, teaching them a skill that they can use to actually earn a wage, a mm. fair wage, and actually build a prosperous future. And that was super important. So they had a big Indian connection there, and I thought, hey, this is a chance for me to actually really get to know and actually really honor my culture and my past. And build a brand around that. And so we called it Malu and the girls opened open to it too. Um, and the logo is actually the letter Ma in Malayalam. So it all was kind to line up. It was all looking really, really cool. Is mm. um, that
1: something, a really, really proud moment for you, being able to do a nod back to the, the Indian roots? And especially for your parents, how did they love that? I don't, I don't
2: that? think i ever, honestly, I didn't really, I don't, I don't know. I've never really reflected on that, if I'm going to mm. be honest. Like I just, it just made mm. sense. It felt right. And we did it and I, and we did have people like within the community being like, Hey, this is, this is really cool. Mm. Um, it's, it's, you know, they're really proud mm. to wear it. Um, but what made me even prouder was to see people who didn't know our culture and they were wearing it cause they thought it looked cool and like actually it represents them in some sort of way. And that was pretty wicked. Um, and we just, we just grinded. We, I remember learning how to build a website and a Shopify, um, and learning to do photo shoots, learning to build Instagram pages, Facebook pages, you know, stuff that i already done through musical theatre, but how do I translate that into, into fashion retail? Um, Jess was designing, Meg's figuring out supply chain, it's all kind of going. Um, and then we dropped our first um, our first sort of go in, I think it was 2016 from memory. Mm. Um, and it was fun. And it was really, really cool. And we learned heaps along the way, learning how to do Facebook ads. Um, and at this point, like, the YouTube entrepreneur wasn't really a thing. There was a little bit of that hustle culture, but hadn't really taken off at that point. That that I'd been exposed to anyway. Mm. Um, so we were just like just learning old school style, just like fig- figuring it out, which is which is really really cool.
1: What was the hardest part about starting that business?
2: The hardest part was probably probably having probably getting over the imposter syndrome of oh yes I'm in fashion is probably the big one. Like. Mm. I think about you know where I worked and some of the, you know some of the calls that I've had to make with people in the industry. I'm going. I, I look at what I'm wearing. I'm, am I actually that cool? Like, can I can I actually authentically get away with representing this type of business? Um, and that was a mindset shift I had to get through. Um, How did you do that? I don't know if I fully did. To be fair, um, but you just had to persevere again. it just came back to the vision and the why. And a lot of it was the why. I'm going. You know, if I can sell one more T-shirt, what impact is it going to make back home and all that sort of stuff? That's kind of, was that driving force when you felt like, oh, is this authentic? Actually, no, I'm doing this for, for a reason, not not just to be rich, but I had a real gut feeling that this is something I wanted to do and I found a way I can make impact through that gut feel and that's kind of how I um kind of kept going with it, which was which was pretty cool. Um. But yeah, to cut a long story short, the university found out about what we're doing and we're really engaged with it. And then they got myself and Meg to be um, ambassadors for the UCME campaign. So, oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. For people who don't know that campaign, it's like the university's domestic uh, student recruitment drive. And their profile, I think at that time, was about 20 students a year. And you get your photo taken and you might be on a billboard or- Back any, of a bus. Back of a bus <laughs> or something like that. You might do radio um so yeah, so I was on I was on that. Um and that was cool and um really, really enjoyed that whole experience, like getting your photo taken and it was interesting being in front of the camera, not behind it, which is what I had to do previously for all these like photo shoots for our you know, for our clothing label, yeah. which we're just figuring it out on the fly. So it's just being a professional environment with lights and you know, there was a DOP and all those other bits and pieces and stuff like that was that was pretty wicked. Um just learning just absorbing as much as I could while being in that environment I like
0: what you said about um, well the importance of your why you went into the fashion because it's what you knew and the why very quickly took over the what yeah Um, you know obviously I'm working in fashion Um, you guys are helping us out with our why as well and helping drive that home to our customers Um, it's a pretty clear pathway of why you're so good at it you know you've had all this learning along the way but um, I just want to touch on that point really
2: yeah
1: and I feel like you also, with that why, you almost contradicted yourself when I asked you about um, how you thought about the impact, uh, especially for your culture, yeah. but then you said um, when you were thinking about the imposter syndrome and overcoming it, you just came straight back to the why yeah. and the impact you were making back mm. home. So yeah. maybe subconsciously that was just something that Possibly, was, yeah. it was really driving you and I'd, I think that's pretty inspiring that you were able to make that impact exactly. and center yourself around that. Um, yeah. That's something that I really want to do with this. As well, centre ourselves yeah. around the why. Um, yeah. It's great for us to be able to have these conversations, but being able to record them and send them off and send people the learnings from chatting with people like you. Honestly, straight up, man. It's like, pretty epic.
2: To get these questions from you, I'm kind of going, oh, I haven't actually really reflected on it before. So it's actually quite a cool experience sitting here and actually kind of getting asked them because I feel like you always, and you boys will be the same, but you're always on the go, right? And mm. it's really hard to take a step back and go, actually, that was a really cool moment or... Yeah, we were on the right track and stuff for that. So it's not, appreciate the opportunity, man. It's cool. It's, been, it's, it's wicked. Oh, It's our pleasure. Yeah, well, absolutely. <laughs> it genuinely is our pleasure. It's, um,
0: I feel like this is a really good point to um, touch on one of the big questions I want to ask you, which is I really want to know about your why. We want to know about your why now. So yeah. looking at your life, where you're at, paint us a picture of everything you're doing with Anthony and Mates, um, break down for the people what Anthony and Mates is, yep. how it came to be, um, but how important that why is for what you're doing.
2: Yeah, cool. Now this is, yeah, wicked, man. This, this is kind of, I've really found out kind of what and why I really want to do what I'm doing. Um, and it does actually really come off the back of what I did with Malu. Um and that whole University of Canterbury photo shoot with UC Me, because that was also, like, another real stake and point in time where I could have gone this, like, left or right. And I was sitting in a UC Me radio shoot, and I was I was saying a line. I was like, um, blah, 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 blah. And you can see me and my story, like, real just, like, advertising stuff. Yeah. And, um, and I was sitting in that radio shoot, and then the marketing manager at the time said, hey, look, do you know anyone who could be our marketing coordinator for three months because our full-time marketing coordinator is on maternity leave and now her cover has just gone on maternity leave and so we just need someone to cover three months before our original person comes back and at this point I'd um, finished my political science degree but I went back to university to do a master's in business because starting this whole clothing Mm. label I had no idea what I was doing so I thought I might as well get some education Um, and so that was great and so I had all this Mm. free time so I thought oh yeah well I'll take the job. I need the money. Yeah. So I ended up working for the University of Canterbury for three months as their marketing coordinator. Um, and that was super interesting because I'd moved into like a real formal corporate marketing environment of an organization that I'd lived and breathed in for a few years and absolutely loved it. And um, thought, this is really wicked. And so did that for three months and then obviously the, next, the original person came back, which is sweet as, but then to finish my Masters, I had to do an internship, so I ended up interning at a media agency in, in town called the Media Department, and mm. they do media buying. And one of their clients is at the university, and so within seven months, I'd gone from being talent for UCME, in-house marketing for University of Canterbury, working on the UCME campaign, to then going agency side, working as a media, bu- working in the media buying agency. That so you got the full UCME. scope. So in I got the full months. scope. So seven months, I did all those three things, and
0: are
1: you doing
2: it. your masters alongside that at the same yep. time? Yeah. Yep. Wow. And I was like, marketing This is awesome. And then I thought about Malu and Musoc and it was like building Instagram, making content. Like I'd, I'd experienced all this going through and finally articulated and wrapped it up in a, Oh crap, this is a job that I can do like far out, like light bulb moment. And, um, got to end of the year and Malu, we kind of made a call that that wasn't going to be our future. Um, for all sorts of reasons, but the main one was, unless we wanted to be as big as Patagonia, we were just effectively adding to waste. Um, and that was kind of our thing, right? We, if, we, if our hearts weren't fully in building a massive business out of this, then what are we doing? Um, so we put that aside, and so we we're looking for new opportunities. That's a re- I just want to touch on that
1: really quickly. That must have taken a lot of self-reflection and introspectiveness to come to that conclusion, because it was it was your passion, it was what yeah. you loved. Mm-hmm. You were very clear earlier around yeah. that was your why at the time.
2: It was it was you had a lot of introspection, but also like the reality as well. Like with the numbers and you're going. There's three co-founders, and if we all want to have at least, you know, closer 30 hours a week of a salary out of this, the units would need to shift. Fashion is hard, man. I mean, you know all about it, bro. <laughs> the rag like, trade. Man. Like
0: that's what they call it. they call it that for a reason. yeah, yeah. everyone in it. Is in it because they love it, yep. and you have to work so hard yep. just to make yep. a little. 100%. And you're right, honestly. The unit volumes everything it, it does. It takes you to be fully sold out, and yep. you can't have. You
2: you got to be next level on it, and so and that was the of, of economic driver was obviously a big one. But then you go actually, how badly do I want want this? And you go well, actually my skill set wasn't in the fashion side of things. It was the messaging, the branding, the creative, all that sort of stuff. Um, And so, yeah, put my little aside and thought, what am I going to do next? And we got to the end of that year, and then we're doing a big wrap-up for UC. And then the marketing, like, the bigger marketing boss was like, so for UC, me, we need some video content, a bit of a video strategy. Does anyone have any ideas? And I was like, I've got an idea. And so the meeting ended. I went up to Dave, and I said, mate, I've got an idea. And he goes, wicked. <laughs> um, do you want this as a role at UC, or...? Do you, are you just gonna? Do you have a business you can run on the Sunday? And I, on the spot, I was like, "Oh, I've got a business." He's like, "Oh, do you?" I was like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 So I'm thinking about starting it, and I've got one client. I didn't. Um, nice. I love this. Man. <laughs> You're the second
0: person who has started their business by lying. I love it,
2: and Brian. Like, and I was like, "Yeah, like," I mean, and you know what? Three hours later, I had a registered business on the company site. So you know, like. Oh you no! Know, anyone can you probably beat him to the punch. You were <laughs> no, yeah, like, yeah, "Company yeah, mates." Just, he just bit me to it. I was totally <laughs> on door that night. I just fully forgot. Um, <laughs> and so I registered a company that night, made a business card, made a website, um, and I called the original company, Mates. Well, and I actually, I'm going to make a public declaration. I didn't, but my flatmate and really good friend, one of my best mates, Morgan, she came up with the, with the name Mates. Was sitting on the couch um, at our flat. And I was like, what am I going to call this thing? And I call them mates because you're going to use a whole bunch of your mates to help you make all this content. And I was like, done. mates social media. We picked orange just because. Um, great, color. Great, great, color. Color. great color. Great color. Great color. Um, branding. Meg wrote the, scribbled the name mates on her iPad and we just exported that logo. Done. Like it was all very, very quick. We just got to look like we're a thing. Because yep. I got a pitch on Wednesday um and i pitched that i'd make 120 videos in 8 months so I was a bit audacious that's a lot of work hence why yeah. 18, you mates know wow. I mean? like, <laughs> you right?
1: um okay and then, this is
2: all churning. Yeah. wow this happened real fast happened i'm trying to keep up with what you're saying happened to me right quirk, now happens super quick um and then that whole summer and then while that was happening i started telling people of, of i've i my own social media agency and and this is this is a Christchurch thing they were just like sweet, Um, we might need some help, I'll I'll hit you up, I'll call you. And I remember being at one meeting and the guy was like, actually, I need some social media help, I'm going to call you on Monday. So within a week, I genuinely actually had a a small client, but I had a client Um, and I was just doing some content for them. And then that saw me through the summer while we were negotiating with UC about what they actually really needed from a content perspective. Signed that contract with UC in February um, and we had to deliver. And so, um, yeah, so we, and we just did, we just got out, we did it. So um, who's on the team at this point? At so this point, there's just, so we all, we all kind of contracted to the company at that point. That's technical if anyone really cares about it, but, um, mm-hmm. so it was myself and then my friend Rishi. Um, some people might know him. He's around oh, town. Oh, Rishi. Yeah, yeah he Rishi works retail. with Josiah. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 go. Real, go. real good dude. So he, McCarthy Studios. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he yeah. came on board and helped, he was making, I think it was like eight videos or something a month or something like that. Um and the guy called Corbin Tupo, you might know him. He's mm-hmm. gone to do some amazing stuff with Two Minds Festival. Um and Yeah, he, I feel like the name's yeah, about. Real good I artist, have no like, idea who that is. He was just a student at the time. Um, and he I didn't even know him, but a mate of mine knew him. And I remember calling him was like an India, like visiting family. was like, Hey man, we've never met, but can you work for me for like just give me part-time? We're super casual. Was, yeah, sweet ass. Um, and he ended up being my first full-time employee. Um, and then some corpses around for a bit and then a guy called Lucas winters who some people might know oh yeah yeah so he was I think he'd just finished high school and then he was mm-hmm. working for me and he was working in uh, I think another job around town so we were the original the og4 of mates um, and yeah we just we got it done we made it work um, picked up a few more clients along the way um, and then the year later UC resigned and that's when I committed to taking Corbin on full-time and then a few weeks later Rishi came on full-time as well for a bit mm. and we got an office on high street um and it felt like we had a real thing it was like Far out, I've got responsibilities now like these <laughs> people that rely on and me that's that, just quick yeah that was quick man it was quick um and we just we just we just grew and it was just just being hungry and just just being really honest and authentic and people say we do things differently but we just you know, in the same way that, you know, we call the na- name mates because of I need to use all my friends, but we actually really grew into that name and our values. Like, what does it actually mean to be a friend? You know, what does mateship look like? Mm. And isn't that the type of relationship you want with the people that you partner with at a creative level, at a, at a commercial level, like you should be able to sit down and have a beer with someone and have a conversation and work hard, play hard. And so we really grew into that name. Mm. Um, but yeah, look, now we're a team of 11, which is really, really cool. Um, had some massive changes. So what started off as a video production agency, um, we're now a full-service creative agency. Um, I've got everything from, um, you know, I've got a full suite of graphic designers, web developers. Um, I've still got our core video production team, which is super important, and a couple of people that work on the accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Pete, who I've mentioned before, he has his own really, really cool story, but he came back from the UK in 21, um, and he bought into the company, so now we're co-owners, mm. which, is, which, is, which is really cool to, you know, y- the stuff that we're doing in musical theatre back in Mussock, we're now doing it in real life, and now we have a salary, which is quite nice. Yeah, um, that's crazy, that, now, that Pete
0: hey? sort of in your life goes away and comes yeah. back.
2: like it was, it was wicked, man. Like, we're... we're, we're How'd you w- bring him in? Real easy. Um, <laughs> real easy. <laughs> 20 minutes. Real, straight <laughs> up, no. <laughs> like, well, I mean, so he came home, and then, like, even, yeah. like, he'd come back and back and forth for like holidays and stuff like that. And we'd just hang out during the day. Like when I moved from High Street to Oxford Terrace um, in our new office at the time, I had to wrap up some carpet and he was back on his break, but he'd come and help me and would move shit. And it was, it was fun, right? Yeah. So he'd always been in around it. And then when he came home, he was looking for work. At this point, we're in our team of, we're team of five. And, you know, a bit like our relationship, my relationship with Molly with Meg and Jess, I've got a really strong skill set, I know what I'm doing, but I need someone who can do numbers really, really well and is super organized, and that's Pete. And we've always had that real strong working relationship. Mm. And it was like, bro, we're growing, we're doing this cool thing. When, I literally asked him, when, "When you buy in? And he go, yeah, sweet, how much you wanna give away? I was like, bro, we're always in 50-50 type of people, let's go half. So it was really, really simple. And yeah, we, we did it, it was, it was easy. And now we're a team of, yeah, a team of 11. Was that when it transitioned from Mates to
1: Anthony Mates? No, so
2: Anthony Mates became, that came in 2020. Um, And the reason why we did that name change is because it was kind of that whole COVID time and everyone's kind of repositioning themselves. Mm. And I did a bit of a, and that's when I actually did a reflection on the business was during that first lockdown. I'm going, where are we? What are we doing? And I kind of looked at it and the people that we had involved and realized that we weren't a video production company anymore. Like we actually were looking after you know, some bigger corporates, there was graphic design, there's web building, and our name needed to be reflected that. Mm. And mates social media just sounded like it was just something like kids doing it out of their garage, right? And so we needed to mature up a bit. Um, and that's why we rebranded to Anthony Mates. And I remember walking down Casual Street and saw a law firm and it was like something in Associates and it just hit me. I can go Anthony and mates. I still keep the mates origin mm. and add my name to help that professional feel. And for me, there was just such a balance of what I wanted to achieve out of the name and who we are as an agency. Mm. So we changed in, 20, in 2020 to our teammates. Um, but now we look after um, clients all over New Zealand. We've got an Aussie client. We've got some clients in the States. Um, but also look after some really important and iconic br- um, brands from Canterbury. Obviously, we've got Cutler, which is gangster. Um, but um, the Crusaders, so we're the official creative agency for the Crusaders, which is pretty cool. Epic. Um, we do That's an incredible brand yeah.
1: story to be a part of over the last Bro, it's, seven years. Yeah, yeah so it's been a good seven years, <laughs> hasn't it? <laughs> it's been a good seven years. We've only been involved
2: for the last two, so I can't take much credit at all. Um, no, big but being on involved in sport has been wicked. Um, mm. Itahu, we do a little bit with mm. one of their companies called Tokuna Taraki, which is the Maori Futures Collective. Mm-hmm. And they're a really awesome group of people and do some cool stuff. And obviously UC and um, heaps of cool startups. So we're sitting in a really cool space right now. And... Yeah, it's only just beginning, really, for the agency, which is cool. That's epic, man. And I think um, that kind of leads
1: into one of the things that I really wanted to hit on, which is the importance of brand and storytelling when you're growing a business. Um, obviously you did the name shift, but how has it impacted the work that you are doing with the types of brands? Um, your little your quote or slogan is uh, "New school agency with old school flair." Yeah. Um, how do you guys embody that?
2: Yeah, I think this is the the thing with brand is it's such a long tail, long burn thing to do. Mm. You Can't build a brand overnight. Um, and I think that's the struggle and rush that a lot of businesses and maybe people who are trying to grow a personal brand struggle with is like, I need that to happen yesterday, so it's got to happen in six months. Um, and the reason and why it's been really cool to talk about my whole story because that all has contributed to my brand. And mm. not just my personal brand, but the company's brand and everything I'm involved in around it, right? And so um, the way that we embody, you know, being a modern agency with old school flair is actually thinking about the values that we had growing up. And we've got two rules in anti teammates. So the first one is rule number one, which the all blacks have coined, is don't be a dick. Um, and rule number two is if you say you're going to do something, do it. And that's the way we live it. Don't be a dick and just do as you say. And that's stuff that we I like to think that Kiwis grew up doing right and that's what you got being told being a good person is um, and for me those are the old school values and how do we do that in modern sort of environment as an agency so it's transparent pricing it's actually being really up front and um, fixed pricing and all that sort of stuff is really important but it goes into the deeper level like instead of seeing an email actually just pick up the phone and have a phone call hey, we just
1: wanted to interrupt this episode to say thank you so much for listening to the Progress Podcast. It really is a dream of ours to bring these stories to life and we really couldn't do it without your support.
0: If you feel like you've gained any value or have learned something incredible from these conversations, we would so appreciate a subscription from you on this platform. We really want you to join us on the progress journey and join the progress community. Let's get back to the episode. So I guess from your opinion, being an expert on this subject, how important is it to tell an effective story to actually i guess brand yourself and to get a product over the line get an idea over the line
2: yeah so i think the trouble that businesses have and will always have is that tension between wanting to build a brand which will take time unless you go viral but even to a degree if you go viral you can't control that so it's a degree oh, it's, you know, it's weirdly organic and It is, right? And, and it
1: also becomes very defining. Yeah. The piece that goes viral becomes your tone of
2: voice. 100%. It becomes your brand. Like the crusaders didn't come to crusaders overnight. Mm. Even they didn't come to crusaders after the, you know, that's this seven year in a trot that we've had, right? There's, mm. a, there's a whole legacy behind it and that's, and brand fundamentally takes time. So you've got this tension can be healthy, but sometimes it can be stressful for businesses and business owners going, I need a really strong brand so I can sell whatever I'm selling. But I need that cash flow and revenue, so I need that now. Um, and so for us, when we've got bigger, more established clients, it's a little bit more easier to have that brand conversation because they get it, or they might have in- in-house marketing teams that they come to us to get that specialised resource. And so we can have those marketing sort of conversations. But if you're an owner-operator, like, for example, like I don't know many people know this, but 70% of the businesses in New Zealand in and around 70, 75% Mm. of the businesses in New Zealand are owner-operated with no employees.
0: Mm. I remember you telling me this. I was shocked when I found that out.
2: Right, and I think, and please fact-check me, but I'm pretty sure I've got it correct. And then it's like 17% of businesses have 1 to 19 employees, and then it's like 22% have 20 to 99 employees, And if I've got my math right, they should lead to 1%. But anyway, the last 1% Mm. of businesses in New Zealand have 100 or more employees. And that 1% employs half of New Zealand. It's just mind-boggling. madness, isn't it? Madness. I remember having
1: a similar conversation with um, the Christchurch Employers Chamber of Commerce um, around those exact stats, because we were pitching them some work from a consulting perspective. And they read us off these stats, and that completely threw us from a how we structured our business.
2: hundred percent. And so when you take that into account, you've got a very small population or mar- margin of businesses that have in-house marketing capacity. But a lot of them are mum and dad's, like, you know, you think about the mechanic down the road. You know, it's probably, the old man's the mechanic and then the person running the business operation is probably his wife or something like that, right? And that's a real illustrative example of a lot of the small businesses in New Zealand. Um, and so... Maybe mechanics are an example for this part, but if you're an owner operator and you're just looking to use this business to build your revenue and your cash flow for your daily living, investing in brand is like the last thing you want to do, right? Mm. And so, well, because
1: it's capital intensive, you're really yep. worried about your cash flow, and it's really hard is to justify.
2: How can you track that return on investment? Mm. You'll put up billboards, and we've had this conversation, yep. but you just oh, don't know, yeah. right? Um, Mm. you can make some estimations around eyeballs and what that conversion rate could be, but fundamentally, like it's really, really hard to figure out. And so that's the conversation that we sort of have with with clients and prospective clients is going, okay, if it's a short-term cash thing you need to do, this is what we could do, this is what it could look like. There's some ramifications and parameters around that. But if you're looking to build brand over a long period of time, then let's have a really cool conversation around we can make some wins here, wins here. And if you can sustain this type of campaign, this is the type of uplift we'd expect to senior your brand and stuff like that. So it's, it's interesting. Um, but that's just the tension that any marketers or any agency faces is those expectations. And I think if you can make the expectations really, really clear, then it's by and large, it works out pretty well.
1: It's interesting living in the digital age. Obviously, people are so conscious of brand and media do you find those conversations easier now or are people overwhelmed by the process and what they think of as I've got now 15 different channels to worry about when it comes to brand
2: um yes and no it's there's there's no it's, it's probably pretty horses for courses to be fair um you'd probably expect that a younger person thinks that they're like a millennial will be aware of all the channels so it's pretty easy but the problem with that is they go, oh yeah, it's really, really easy and they don't really appreciate the nuances between different platforms and might track the same piece of content on all platforms, that's not gonna work, right? Whereas you might have some older demographics who go, um, well, this is too much. Back in the day, I could just put up a TV ad and it was good to go. Um, and so it is it is about managing those expectations and sort of going, okay, well, if you do have a limited budget, what's the best way of using it? Like, what, what are we gonna do in other bits and pieces? So. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's there's never sort of one, a one-trick pony. We like to make we're trying these things of making really fixed packages for for specific services that we can offer to our client. Um, clients, sorry, um, how those are taking off has been an interesting road because I still think businesses still need that bespoke nuance. I don't think you can package fully um, a marketing service because it's. It's still human, it's well, human centric, right? If
0: I'm thinking about it, each client is going to be so varied. One you mentioned is generational impact on their perception of spend, as well as you've then got the cash flow of big business to small business. Yeah. And then a hundred other factors that are going to basically influence how this person wants to spend their money on yeah. marketing. So I, I agree with you in the fact there's, there's no way to I don't know, fit everyone into boxes. Yeah.
2: And also like, You know, when you get to that big corporate space, um, you know, I've heard of, we don't have any like government clients, but I hear um, businesses in Wellington, like they love like licking the lips and rubbing their their fingers together around the end of April or May because the government budgets close in June. So if there's extra budget to be spent out, that's got to be spent. Mm. Some of the stuff Mm. they're spending on is absolutely ridiculous. Like it might not actually help with the bottom line, but they've got to spend their money out or else they'd lose Otherwise their they just lose their next, next year. year. Yeah. It's um, a wild system. So you're just a marketing manager for a business or an organization that you don't really have any heart relation to, and you know you need to spend a budget. That's going to affect how you decide how you want to spend it, right? Whereas you're an owner-operator, you're going, okay, I'm going to commit 30 grand to this, and your heart and soul is, is it. It's a really different like conversation and experience mm-hmm. they have, right?
1: I love that you came back to... Um, the why piece and the human centered piece I mean your whole brand yeah. is Anthony and mates yeah. it's all about that mateship that human centered piece and like you say every business is different yeah oh.
2: I mean I joke every time we have um, a new person we interview the way I like to break the ice is I say to them and people have been saying this for years but I really believe it to a degree because um, I do have friends but um, I say the only reason, <laughs> <laughs> reason <don't> <laughs> <laughs> he's got mates yeah. Yeah. he's got well, a like, brand no, about no, it. say the only reason why I hire you because I've actually got no <laughs> friends I just want to hang out like and it's it's funny how people react to that. Like people go, "Oh, is he is he serious? Is he actually that much of a loser that like he oh, no. needs friends? Or they go, "Is he like just being a like a weird boomer?" There's like a dad joke that I'm missing out on. And people <laughs> going, "Oh yeah, I get the sentiment behind what you're saying." The reaction's always cracking up, but it's, it's it's good. <laughs> yeah, maybe there's a boomer joke.
0: Uh, I think you're right. I think you get away with that, <laughs> mate. Thanks, mate. Yeah. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. <laughs> You ain't got no mates. <laughs> no, <laughs> joke, I joke. Hey, I, I want to kind of almost take a bit of a zoom out lens. You've really broken down really well for us, I think, how Anthony Mace came to be and just how important the why has been, like interwoven throughout. I don't know I found that super yeah. interesting. Yeah. I want to talk about what you're doing now outside of Anthony Mace as well as, I guess, everything you're doing within the city. Um, you seem to have an intrinsic understanding of the principle of culture and running culture throughout storytelling within business. Um, what is the the vision for what you're doing and almost for, I guess, how connected you are in the city?
2: Hmm. I, um, I've i got heaps of ideas, love sort of dream up ideas of people and going, sweet, how do we make this happen? Um, and I think... The one thing that is I've got, and there's people like you guys and a few others around town that you talk to people and they think about the future of the city and you go, man, Christchurch, like Otatahi Christchurch should be such a cool, global, progressive, like, gl- like world-leading city. Mm. I
0: already think we're the coolest city in New Zealand. We are
2: the coolest city in New Zealand. But we could yeah. be, like, oh, absolutely the next level, right? Like, I mean, mm. I was, I, I remember and maybe it's maybe it's out of space of naivety but i remember during lockdown the first one and like the world just stopped right and mm-hmm. for me that was like a man if i was if i was in a position where it could be a politician or um, you know a really prominent business leader and i'm sitting in lockdown i would like to think that i could have been in a position where i'm going actually stream up a new New Zealand? Like, what does that look like? Mm. And the first thing to me was a real ridiculous thing that will probably never happen, but just imagine for a second, if during lockdown, the country just decided we need to make a massive shift in what New Zealand could be like at an infrastructure level. And for all his faults, um, I don't think Elon was that cancelled back then, but um, (laughs) Mm. the whole like Hyperloop system. Imagine if New Zealand... Integrated hype loop up and down the country in the same way Japan has bullet trains around Japan. Oh, and it would how, change tourism. It would change, it would change everything. everything. People could live in the regions and be in Auckland or Wellington or Tauranga or New yeah. Plymouth like within, like within an hour. Um, mm. And then what? It's a, it's a ridiculous pipe dream, but I felt like there would have been so many cool things that could have happened if there was someone in a position or a group of people in a position to have the balls to actually start having that conversation publicly. And I'm lucky enough that in my work I get to be around people that have, I guess, in political spaces or have been. And you, you can see that when someone has a good idea, it gets chopped down immediately because of the bureaucracy or it's in too hard mm. basket. But I just get this feeling that our generation, like millennials and also the generation below us, we're a little bit different in the sense that we're a bit more hungry and we're a lot more collaborative by nature. Mm. And I think that we're in this weird interesting spot that not within the next 10 years but in 10 years time um, people like us and people all around are going to be the future leaders of this city and this country Um, but we have an intrinsic nature to be more collaborative and if we can start building that culture now and actually really reconnecting and start dreaming together we could do some pretty amazing things in the future and actually turn New Zealand around to be pretty awesome Um, and I don't know what my role looks like in that type of future, but I love talking about it. Mm. Um, there's, I know Naitahu at the moment, um, they are doing a lot of thinking around, you know, what does 2050 look like? And I'm going, wow, that's an organization thinking about 2050? No one else oh, is yeah. thinking about 2050 <laughs> right now. We all should be thinking about 2050 <coughs> and what's going to be happening and what we want that to look like. And so at the moment, I'm just trying to learn as much as I can about as many different industries and things. I caught up with a dude who works in transport engineering for no other reason than to understand how feasible is it to get a light rail system in Christchurch. Now I don't have the money to put together light rail or the influence, but I just wanted to Mm. learn where and why is that conversation falling over just out of my own interest. Um, And so that's what I'm trying to do. So now um, I sit on a few boards and I'm learning quite a lot while doing that. Um, I chair Watch This Space, which is a a charity that focuses on street art and they're kind of, At that convergence between the street art community and the business community. Mm. So a lot of the street art that you see around town um, is obviously made by local artists and international artists. But some of that brokering, those conversations have come through people from the street art community who've got ties to business. Um, And we like to help in sort of, I guess, fostering that culture of bringing urban art, um, not just into the CBD, into the wider Christchurch. So I chair that, and just started that mm. this year. Um, For those who don't
1: know who are outside of Christchurch mm. as well, he's painting a visual picture of our city rebuilding yeah. from the quakes. Whenever you walk through the CBD, you can see these fantastic, amazing murals, yeah. street art everywhere. Yeah. Um, you said a really interesting thing uh, in one of your quotes that I pulled, which was that you think the arts play a critical role in shaping a community's culture. 100%. And it's really cool that. You're stepping into board positions and dreaming up this future that clearly has a tie back to the arts, your passion for MUSOC, um, and passion for culture. I reckon that that's stepping into like your core why. Hundred percent. I think that's amazing.
2: Yeah, big time, man. And then the other one, then the art space that I get to do some work in is the Art Centre. So I'm a trustee there, Um, and I've been a trustee for a couple of years now. And the Art Centre is in a really interesting spot because, um, you know, since the quake the main focus of that board has actually just been to rebuild as many of those heritage buildings as possible. Um, and full credit to the team at the Arts Centre, um, they've done it. We've got a couple that we kind of need to get done, but the core of the Arts is done. We now have an observatory hotel, we have um, a health technology like Workspace, Mm. Um, it's, it's, which is just open and is phenomenal <laughs> it's so um, sick it's there's a so company cool. in
1: there that I'm hopefully doing some work with called Contented AI who are yep. just amazing
2: yep. in that whole upstairs space yeah it's wicked man and so to be able to sit on that board and go um, like we've got a strategic vision day coming up and I'm just so excited for that because now we get to stop thinking of the art centre as a rebuild project but actually like a re- revitalization project like what are we going to yep. do to make the art centre even more relevant to the wider community Um mm. So I've got those two, and then I sit on the board of Rising Home. Um, so people might know it as Rising Home Community Centre. It's been a space um, out in Opawa, Um mm. that's been around for, for 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 nearly 100 years, I think. Don't quote me on that one. Mm. Um, but they've had a re- – root. so basically their whole mm. co-puppet is around, um, you know, giving people learning opportunities through so like night classes and stuff like that. So it's not necessarily – tertiary education or anything, but it could be something simple as pottery or, you know, basic learning photography or something like that. Um, So when I joined the board there, um, I helped with their um, sort of that brand shift from being Rising Home Community Centre to now becoming Rising Home Learning. Mm -hmm. And so making sure that that became the focus. And how do you take an organisation that has been pretty, um, pretty analogue by nature and how do we make them a bit more digitally relevant? Um, So doing that... um, and then yeah so those are probably the three big ones for me at the moment. Yeah mm-hmm. I mean Which you've is... got
0: hugely relevant skills to add <laughs> value to all of those different um, different boards. I'm curious as per how you found yourself, I guess. I mean it seems to me that every time you have an idea you actually proactive and you just go out and ask. Is that how you found yourself on these boards you kind of
2: Yep. I um it? I had a conversation with um family friend who's kind of in and around these sort of spaces and I said, "Bro, I uh, I think I need to get some experience in governance and he goes, sweet, I'll, I'll keep an eye out. Um, and rising home came up. And so that's how I joined them. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, really fell in love with what we're doing there. And then watch the space came about. So I joined them. And then the art center was a bit more formal and how I had to apply for it. Um, and that's kind of where I talked about that. Um, good friend of mine who told me that I had governance skills and, mm. um, and I applied for that one to like form interviews with like recruitment agencies and stuff like that and got through there. So that was, that was pretty cool, but you just gotta, you just gotta shoot your shot. Um, I'm, I'm a big believer in just giving it a nudge. Um, what do you see the power and governance
1: as? Because obviously there's a big, you mentioned this right back with Musok. There's a big difference between, between being in a governance role and an operational role. Yep. What impact can you have in those government roles, governance yeah, roles? Yeah.
2: Interesting. Um, it's, for me, it's it's strategic direction um, and also just the ability to be um, a critical thinker. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's the most important part, right? Like the board needs to set the vision for where you want the organisation to go and it's up to the management team to execute on that vision. Mm. Um, and what the board needs to do in healthy relationships is you know, keep the CEO, keep that chief executive accountable, um, but also provide support where they need it as well. So... It's really, really dangerous when a board member gets really bogged into the operations sort of, of an organisation because mm-hmm. um, it's actually not their role. In, mm-hmm. And I'm a, I guess I'm a purist in that sense. Um, you want to, yeah, just do what you can to ensure that management can actually go out and do what they need to do. You know, there's there's so many people out there that might be a CEO of one organisation, but they might be a chair of another organisation. They've got the skill sets to do either. So it's not that the CEO is any dumber or... Or the chairman smarter, or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's actually just a different role and function within an organization. Um, and you just got to play your part. Awesome. Awesome.
1: I think um, the thing that's really stood out to me through this whole conversation is it seems like you've gone on a real journey of identifying <laughs> your strengths yep. throughout the whole thing. And I, you mentioned it, I can't remember, right back at the beginning where you were talking about um, the acting piece. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I love acting. <laughs> But I'm not great at acting. I'm not <laughs> yeah. going to do this professionally. I um, feel that. Yeah. 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 I massively relate to that.
2: <laughs> Hugely passionate <laughs> this about this. is the musical theatre. We'll <laughs> <laughs> this is our artistic creative. Yeah. And everyone needs their creative outlet, right? Yeah. I think people, I've, I, I know certain people say, Oh, I'm not creative. I'm like, I bet you are. and But you fulfill that in a way that you might not think it actually is creative. Mm. Um, and it's, it's totally important that people have that outlet. Like, I think. And this, to go back to governance real quickly, I think there's a real opportunity for young people to get involved in governance. Mm. You know, a big part of why I wanted to get involved was I found myself going to work, going home, going to work, going home, and watching Netflix. I'm going, there's got to be more to do with my time and my evenings um, than just watching TV. And I didn't need to start another business because I already had money to focus on. Yeah. But what if I just got involved in my community and actually got involved at like a committee level somewhere? being a part of the committee is, is governance. Mm. Um, so I really encourage anyone out there, like if they're looking for something to do, find a local organisation, go to betterboards.org, um, heaps of organisations out there that are screaming for, um, you know, talented, critical thinkers, people who love to set vision, get involved, to volunteer. Um, and our, our generation is ripe for it.
1: I really want to stress that lowering the barrier piece because you talked about you know young people are right for this. And that's a lot of our, our audience is very much in the early stages of their career or even studying. Um,
2: what would you say to those people if they were thinking about governance or getting into that sort of space? You have to give it a go. Um, don't be afraid of not necessarily having anything on your CV because at the same time you don't really know what skills matrix the board's looking for to be covered. Mm. Um, and it might not necessarily mean they need another young person on the board, but you might have a background and skill in marketing or background skill in, I don't know, something else, HR, whatever it is. Um, and your diversity of thought is what's really, really important on the board. Um, and mm. I guess by young people, by nature, we have that diversity of experience because we're a bit younger and we see the mm. world in a different way, but also the skill sets we bring as well. So it's it's just that... It's that be brave piece. Like the worst thing they want to say is no. And if you're really, really comfortable with someone saying no to you, then the world's literally your oyster. Be brave.
1: That is such a powerful,
2: powerful message. I love that. I love
0: that. Absolutely. The learning to take a no seems to be the most important skill that anyone can learn. Yeah. And that's it. we, we like to sit in our little shells. We like to not pick up the phone, send out an email. Yeah. It's an interesting point to, I think, almost leave us off on um there's a few things that we do on the the podcast just when we kind of go through our wrap-up stage um one of the things that we'd love for you to do as well is if you could kind of give the people a bit of a spiel on how they can get in touch with you how they can
1: follow cool what clive anthony's doing yeah um you can even
2: direct it straight into the camera. I was gonna straight yeah. up say it as a joke, follow me on threads, but I mean actually to be honest, just follow me on Instagram because who knows where threads going, eh? <laughs> but also who threads knows where threads is going. The well, MMA we'll fight be on is thread. gonna still I, mean, I mean I'm on threads, don't get me wrong. But I've just got no idea where that platform's going. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> um no no in all seriousness. Um uh, Clive Anthony, not Anthony. I get that a lot. Um C L I V E A N T O N Y on Instagram. It's probably the easiest place to go. Um, but Um that's our work. If you want to get in touch by email, my email address is on there. Um, we'll pop all of your socials links in the description. Yeah, no, you can man. engage but with I mean, that. Also, like, people who've been listening have hopefully got an understanding that I just really want to know more about what makes people tick. Um, if they've got ideas and visions for the city um, and they just want to have a coffee and have a chat about it, like, I'm totally open to that. Mm. Um I think it's just really important what you guys are doing, um, fostering these conversations um, and how do we extend that beyond the podcast. And if I can do that by having a chat with mm-hmm. a listener because they've got an idea that they want to they wanna bounce around, yeah. then yeah, let's do it. That totally comes back, to, and you've mentioned it a few mm. times,
1: that circle of influence, right? Building that because people in our generation, we're the next, we're we're next the next generation we're of up. leaders. We're up. Yeah. And I think if we can foster those conversations and, and get people all on board, hundred man. It's, um, we're creating that serendipity to create the Christchurch that we want and the New Zealand that we want.
2: Big time. Absolutely big time.
0: Links into one more thing. This is a new thing we want to try on the podcast. Oh, damn. Essentially, what I want (laughs) you to think of is if you could give our listeners some homework, some actionable task that they could complete to (laughs) actually put this learning into practice.
2: Gee whiz, mate. Um, (laughs) Oh, I hate homework at the best of times. Our homework, homework, homework would be, what would, okay, I'll I'll, I'll tell you what what I'm working on at the moment, which has been a big game changer for me, is focusing on getting good sleep. So there's one thing that I can Mm. tell people listening is, at the moment, I'm trying, I've got this app that allows me to track track my sleeping, and making sure that I go to bed and get a good amount of sleep. And it's interesting to look at the graph and go, actually, if I sleep for that extra half an hour and how I felt the next day has been a really interesting journey. So if you feel like you're tired or you are losing focus or just want to be that bit more efficient, try and understand your sleep patterns a bit more. Because um, That's kind of what I'm doing and I'm feeling really good about it. So weird one, yeah. but here's
0: your homework, track your sleep. Epic, track your sleep, tag the progress pod. We want to know if it works for you.
2: <laughs> exactly, Amazing. exactly. What's the app? Give them the app. Oh, the app. I use Sleep Cycle, mm-hmm. um, but not to be biased, another one called Rise, which is also really good as well. Oh, I've seen them all over Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, the only reason I got Sleep Cycle is because I bought it um, like two years ago and forgot to use it. So I've already <laughs> paid for it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fading go. subscriptions. So, yeah, exactly, right? So I've committed to that one, but they both seem really, really mm-hmm. good. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot out there, but yeah. I think if you can nail sleep, you kind of avoid laughing. Beautiful. We'll end on that, eh? What a way to end. Thanks so much. Cheers, fellas. Appreciate it.
0: You have just been listening to The Progress Podcast. We launch episodes every Friday. And if you'd like to know more about us, who we are and our mission, you can visit our website, theprogresspod.com.
1: You can listen wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, or if you want to see what we're up to in the studio, you can head to our YouTube channel. We'd love to hear from you, so head to hello at theprogresspod.com to send us your burning questions and your guest suggestions or your feedback. This has been the Progress Podcast. Thank you so much for listening.